Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Welcome back, Warriors, to Season 2 of The Unqualified Therapists. It is hard to believe that it is only our second season, and we get to kick it off with the absolute privilege of interviewing Josh Mankiewicz, who Sarah has perfectly coined the nicest guy in Hollywood. Josh comes from a long line of Hollywood royalty, though you would never know it from his humble manner. His grandfather, Herman Mankiewicz, wrote the screenplay for the historic film Citizen Kane. Manx's father was heavy in the political arena, working as an advisor to Senator Robert F. Kennedy, putting Josh in a position to learn and grow to love politics and journalism. Josh has worked for ABC as a producer and reporter before landing at NBC, where he's worked on The Today Show. Wink, wink. Today's show, we make great guests for TV, not just radio. NBC Nightly News and Sunday Night with Megyn Kelly. I'm sure you all know his velvety voice from his over 25-year stint on the iconic Dateline NBC. Ladies and gentlemen... Pocket Square legend, Josh Mankiewicz. How's everyone? Oh my goodness, hi! hi. I'm so sorry, we're going to ha- do this for a minute. I understand. <laughs> I understand. How are you guys doing? Gather ourselves a minute. We're good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Nice to meet you both. So wonderful to meet you. We seriously cannot thank you enough for doing this. My pleasure. I am beyond starstruck for a moment. So Really? (laughs) He's like, I don't get that at all. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I know. I know. We're going to try to act really cool, though, okay? Yes, we're going to be professional. Good, I will, too. Good, yeah. Oh, my gosh, welcome. Yes. Thank you. We are so happy to have you. All right. You ready? I am ready. I'm ready. ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Basically, I have been a humongous fan of Dateline since day one. Um, well, let's, let, let me back up. Maybe not day one because my mom and dad would watch it. I was about 15 years old and I was like, do we really have, I know the face, do we really have to watch news? But they would put on Dateline and the, the stories that you all covered made it interesting enough that that's what drew me into watching the news and and keeping up with what was going on in the world and wanting to know what was going on in the world. So Dateline was kind of my introduction to that. Prior to that, I did watch 60 Minutes, but I would only watch Andy Rooney at the end (laughs) because I wanted to hear his grumpy take on whatever he was talking about. But uh, so Dateline was my um, ushering into that. And I was very interested. I wanted to be a journalist forever. I wanted to get into broadcasting. My dad was in radio for 45 years. Um, he was uh, president of, of uh, Live Nation over here in this area, in the tri-state area um, between Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. So it's been it's in my blood. 
And um, you and your constituents helped me kind of foster that and, and watch that. So I just want to thank you for helping me grow that as well. Because, you know, when your parents are doing it, it's it's cool when you're younger and then you start to get older and you say, I don't want to be, I don't know. I know you wanted to be a journalist forever and ever. But um, I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to do what my parents want to do. But then I was like, well, these people have got it going on. <laughs> they're, they're doing the cool stuff. Well, because it was storytelling in a different way. Exactly. And I think we've always been storytellers. So, so thanks um, for all that loyalty. Absolutely. Yeah. Forever and ever, like I said. And I know you started the next year, right? The year after. I started, started uh, I think it began in 92. I think Dateline started in the the spring of 92. It didn't start at the beginning okay. of the TV season. It started about halfway through. And I started in February of 95. Okay. Dennis okay. was already there when I got there. Keith started right after I did, like, like maybe six months later hmm. and uh and uh do you like to tease yeah. him about that uh, I, I, <laughs> you're, I, the, I like, you're the og i like to tease keith about everything <laughs> yes. we love that <laughs> uh in part because you know you know when we when we do any event where there's going to be fans or questions or anything like you know keith is tremendously shy and he's oh. a very uh He's a very serious, dignified guy. Oh, my. A couple of words that probably aren't usually associated with me. And <laughs> so, and he's so uh, uncomfortable in front of audiences. Oh and he doesn't, you know, like when I, I went to the first crime con all by myself. I was the only yeah. one there. And I came back and said to Liz Cole, our executive producer, um, this is the audience. Like, we got to go. Mm-hmm. We got to go next yeah. year. Everybody has to go. Yeah. And so everybody went. And, uh, uh, and we'd been there about 45 minutes. Like we were going to be there for like three days. And Keith looked at me and said, I will never forgive you for this. Cause like, like, like you know, you, you, I mean, in that audience, you know, you, you're, yeah. uh, you know, you're you, a rock you star. Can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't go like, like you can't take five steps yeah. without, Taking a selfie or, you know, somebody talking right. to you, which is great because that's, that's why I'm there. I mean, that made right. me very happy. That did not make him very happy. And, uh, 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 yeah, it was good. And, um, like when we did the most recent one in, which was in New Orleans, uh, the one we went to, I think there've been one, there was one since then in, in Texas. Um, but the most recent one we went to was in New Orleans right before pandemic. And, um, we had to have security just because we couldn't get from like place to place. Like if we were supposed to be on a panel somewhere, like we couldn't get from the last thing we were doing to the next thing we were doing because like, you know, like I'm during those three days, if you want to take a selfie with me or anybody else, I'm going to say yes. I mean, that's like why we're there, you know? So it's like really hard to say, you know, you know, you know, like I, you know, like I mean, a presidential candidate can say, you know, sorry, I got to give a speech here, you right, know, right, or I'm, you know, right. you know, we have a debate coming up, but like this is why you're there. Mm-hmm. So, so we had to have people like pulling us along, otherwise we never would have gotten anywhere. Um, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun, yeah. And I do enjoy uh, the, the the more uncomfortable it makes Keith, the more I lean into it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Do you get to have that fun relationship with everybody else or is that kind of Vista? Well, they're not uncomfortable. I mean, uh, you know, Dennis is like sort of bemused about it. Andrea is fine with it. She's sort of like I am with it. She Mm -hmm. likes, 
you know, Andrew says that going to those things is like the little bird on Twitter, you know, like you're meeting them in person, you know, yeah, uh, which is good. You know, it's, it's great. I mean, that way I, I think she's pretty much feels the same way about it. I am. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, Keith, uh, Keith, not big on that. And in fact, we're about to shoot sometime in the next couple of weeks. Keith and I are about to shoot this thing, which I think we're going to shoot together, which is that, uh, uh, that New Year's Eve thing that, that NBC does, like where all the people on all the NBC shows, you know, yes. everybody like mm-hmm. start oh, talking wow. about, you know, it's called like toast to 2021 or uh-huh. whatever. Yeah. And, uh, something like that. And, um, uh, and we all talk about like, it's the New Year's Eve thing. I think it's an hour and, and it's everybody on all the shows, um, talking about certain things that happened during the year that everybody knows about. Like, you know, like they're going to say, did you see squid games? You know, yeah, and did yeah. you, did you, you know, did you see the Bond movie? Um, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and then also we're supposed to say, you know, happy new year, you know, here's mm-hmm. the 2022. And of course, Keith and I do that together because it's, it's an opportunity to, to make him laugh, which is good. Yeah. You know, and he's very, you know, he's very serious about all of it, which of course I'm not. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. can so see him be being serious, but I can also—I don't know. I just thought he would would not be at like that kind of embarrassed. You know, I think and, he's also a true introvert, probably. Probably. Well, yeah. look, there's a divide between journalists uh, of of different ages, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, to a lot of people, a lot of journalists, the way you communicated with your audience was you did the story, you know, you told the story on TV or wrote it down and then they watched it or read it or listened to it. And that was the communication. And it was essentially one way for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that happened uh, was that we were sort of unable to gauge what people thought of the stories, except mm-hmm. in sort of the broadest terms. Like if the ratings were really good, that meant they liked it. If the ratings right. were bad, yeah. that meant they didn't like it. But that's not really true because right. a lot of times, like if the ratings are bad, that could also mean they didn't even know it was on. Mm-hmm. Right. And frequently ratings, as we now know, are a product of not as much the program itself, but what's on before you, what's on opposite you, how you were promoted. Sure what time you're on, what night you're on, what was on earlier in the night on other channels. Um, uh, you know, I mean, Oprah being on at three or four o'clock in the afternoon all those years made geniuses out of a bunch of local news directors and general managers yeah. who then at their on their early news had the number one, you know, five and six o'clock news just right based on. on this giant audience that Oprah delivered to them. And, you know, these guys all got like, you know, you know, huge pay raises. And we're right. like, yeah, I've had yeah. the number one five o'clock news for 10 years yeah. now because we're so great. Well, OK. I mean, I'm not saying you weren't great, but I mean, there was something else going on there. Yeah, had a good lead in. <laughs> yeah. So that I mean, you know, so so now with social media, yeah, you know, you, you, I mean, I can't, people would write you letters sometimes. But like, yeah. like that's not representative because like most people did not write you letters. And frankly, particularly if you work in Los Angeles and the network is headquartered in New York, I never even saw most of those letters. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, mm-hmm. 
you know, and when they even when they started taking emails, like those went to some central place in New York. I never right. saw them until I started demanding that people send them to me. So the great thing about social media is you actually hear right from viewers what they think about the story, whether or not you are telling a story that is compelling mm-hmm. or boring, or whether they think that this guy is guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, or whether they think that they are or whether we've done a good enough job of disguising the fact that somebody is guilty when they aren't or making, yeah. you know, make, making, making it look like someone is a, is a, is a, um, uh, was convicted of something when they weren't or what, or was not convicted of something when they were, because, mm-hmm, you know, right. obviously we don't, I mean, I've said this before, but I mean, we don't begin Dateline by saying this is a story of a guy who was accused of murder, but then it turned out it was his next door neighbor. Yeah. Now, <laughs> please don't move story. for 59 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, we don't yeah. do that. Um, right. So, you know, we take a lot of care with sort of how we tell the story, as you know, and sort of what what turns we sort of lead people around. So and, with that, and, and that's oh, fun. I just had a quick, I had a quick question. Um, do you help with the writing of the story or the research? Oh, we we, we write the, we write the stories. You you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I yeah. didn't know yeah. that. We, we are old. I mean, look, look, all the stories are, everything on Dateline is, is collegial. There's a lot of hands in every yeah. story. I mean, there is a, sure. the, each, each segment has a correspondent and a producer and at least one associate producer, sometimes more than one. And then a senior producer who, uh, sort of oversees that story, but is also overseeing other stories at the same time. And then our bosses in New York get a, at least two looks at it, sometimes more than two, but usually two, one where it's kind of half finished and one where it's nearly completely finished. And they say, you know, this part doesn't make any sense. Or maybe right here you could put a line in saying, you know, but his previous legal problems weren't the issue now. This, you know, and then you'll, you'll, you'll add that. But ultimately the writing in it, I mean, it's my name. Yeah. On the story. Lester says, you know, here's Josh Mankiewicz. Right. And so yeah. I have to be, I either write every word in that story or I'm okay with the words that, that somebody else put in. But I mean, I'm going through every paragraph and I'm mm-hmm. changing nearly every one or writing it myself. Right. So yeah. And Keith similarly and Dennis also. I mean, we're, we're, mm-hmm. and Andrea. I mean, we're all. And yeah, I think that's, all... that's a, that's one of the things about it that makes it like true journalism. Well, yeah, it is. And you, you know, I mean, journalists write your, I mean, also, you know, you got to remember this. I mean, you know, so much of what constituted being a TV reporter has been sort of, um, you know, is done by others in, in, in magazine work. Like I don't have to book the crew. The producer does that. I generally don't have to call the people and say, are you willing to talk with Dateline? Although sometimes mm-hmm. I am doing that, but usually the people mm-hmm. who are not difficult to book, like your prosecutors and your cops mm-hmm. and people like that, mm-hmm. people who are anxious to tell the story, you know, or have that story told, you know, I don't have to call them and beg them to be on. The producer calls them and says, we'd love to do this. And, you know, and then we, they work out where and when. So a lot of that stuff that I did, you know, every reporter does in local news uh, uh, when they're starting out, you don't have to do here. You have a big staff that helps you out. Um, you know, if I say I want more research on this, I can look it up and I sometimes do, but there's also, they also deliver a ton of it to you, uh, at the beginning of the story. So you, you're, so there's really sort of no excuse for not doing a great interview and not writing a great script. Right. Yeah. So how does spending your time in (laughs) these people's psyches and and being in like the depths of some of some really, really scary people, Mm -hmm. how does that affect you? And, and kind of in your 
your day to day? I um, I, I I get asked that a lot. A um, couple of things. First of all, most of the people that we interview are not um, psychopaths. Most of the people we interview are victims' families, or mm-hmm. relatives, sure, or sure. friends, or prosecutors, or cops, or defense attorneys. And we don't, as you know, we don't always talk to the bad guy in every show because sometimes they don't talk or their attorney has told them not to talk. But every now and then you get one of these guys. Um, And, you know, by the time they're sitting across from me, they're usually on their best behavior. Uh, You know, this is not me. I I couldn't have done this. This is all a big Mm -hmm. conspiracy. You know, my my ex-wife's family is blaming me for something that I didn't do. And there's a lot of that. And... So, so we tend to approach that more on the merits of the story that they're telling or the alibi that they claim to have. Um, but second, you know, how does it affect me? I mean, that doesn't affect me. It's not hard to be around people who have committed murder. Hmm. What's hard is to be around the families, to be around the people who uh, are left behind by this and to see sort of the terrible ripple effect of murder sort of roll forward over these families and, then future generations of that family, like, you know, I mean, the, the, the woman who was killed, her sister's kid who didn't even know her, mm-hmm. didn't even know her, her aunt just knows her as somebody that's talked about in family yeah. lore. She died when she was, you know, 18 years old. You never met her. Like that kid doesn't understand why mom won't let her go to parties. Yeah. Right. 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 So that's what you see yeah. in this. That is. Actually, I mean, the hard part of this is speaking with those families, because the idea that the criminal justice system sort of cleanses things and makes everything okay, that is a pleasant myth, but it's a myth. And, you know, people don't get over violent loss. They don't. No. Right, right. And I mean, so you... being about being around these guys, I mean, I've been around some, yeah, some very scary guys, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes, but again, I mean, usually they're trying to explain to me, Hey, I mean, they're not talking about, they're not talking about their, their dark side. You know, maybe you can see they're it trying sometimes. trying to win you over probably. Yeah. They're talking about the merits of their case and they're like, no, no, mm-hmm. you don't get it. I'm, I don't have a dark side. I'm a great guy. Right. Yeah. Um, right. You know, and, uh, and my wife, uh, I don't know who killed her, but not me, you know, (laughs) so there's usually a lot of that. Um, so we end up approaching it on that. Does that affect me? I mean, do I have sleepless nights as a result of this? I'm much more likely to lose sleep because of the sorrow of the victims, the the families and people get left behind than I am having met with some of these people. Because, you know, I was a political reporter for a long time before Mm -hmm. I started doing this Mm -hmm. and talking to murderers. Is actually not that different from talking to politicians. I bet. You know, they have a <laughs> story to tell. True. They have yep. a story to tell. It's usually not completely true. True. Um, yeah. They usually are trying to win you over and persuade you that their way of looking at it is the correct way. Uh, mm-hmm. And you have to have sort of your wits about you as you sort of debate the points of their story and whether or not it makes sense. Those things are sort of true across a big spectrum of reporting, whether you're covering a CEO uh, or a politician or the guy at the local school board or somebody who is uh, accused of murder. And that yeah. is that is true no matter where you go. 
That's why I love watching you because um, (laughs) I know that you have been told this a million times. So this is nothing new, but I love watching you interview people that are not telling the truth because you just, you, it is all over your face that you are just not buying their (laughs) bullshit. And I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I guess I don't do a very good job of disguising my disbelief. No, but but that's what makes it great. All right. I have what, to say uh, my favorite one was, um, and I, I know that you probably like trying to think back on cases, but it was. Oh, the, I know what's couple, coming, but go ahead. Uh, oh, oh, the couple of actors and Rachel, yeah. the young lady. Yes. He knew. Rachel. Yeah. The, um, uh, the great thing about, uh, about that was um, we did that interview like um, a couple of years several years before that air that aired oh wow um because she was charged early on along with mm-hmm. with 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 her co-conspirator with Dan mm-hmm. and he was convicted and mm-hmm. she was charged but then they dropped the charges i'm a little i'm a little foggy on the details of that but mm-hmm. but she wasn't she didn't go to trial for a long time but mm-hmm. It looked like she was going to go to trial for a, right away, and and she was giving interviews. Her attorney at the time, I think, I think it was her attorney, thought this was a good idea to get your story out there so that prosecutors will see when they hear it coming back to them in the press. Like, there's really no case here because Rachel's argument was, um, I wasn't there. How right. can I be guilty of something when I wasn't there? And the prosecution argument was, well, first of all, we don't really know whether you were there. Um, uh, a lot of people believe that, uh, that, that Julie Kibuishi would never have opened the door to that apartment and just let Dan in because she didn't know him, but she did know Rachel. Right. And she would have felt comfortable around Rachel because they both mm-hmm. were dancers and they'd kind of bonded and they lived in the same place. She would not have gone into the apartment if if, yeah. if just Dan had been there. Right. Uh, the, 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 the belief of many people is that Rachel was also there and sort of set her at ease. Again, mm-hmm. we don't know. And because right. everybody was in the same apartment building, their phones were all pinging off the same tower anyway. So yeah. they're all so close to each other. There was no mm-hmm. way to know. And she didn't get charged with that. Let's be clear. I mean, she, mm-hmm. she was not. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, so there was that. And there was also the whole issue of whether or not she had misled prosecutors by saying that somebody else had been with, um, with the victim, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. The, you know, the guy in the hat that she identified. Yeah, well, that right, person right. was a fantasy. So that's the after the fact case that they sort of had against her. And, uh, and, and, I think her attorneys were trying very hard to make sure that she did not get charged with that. And so um, that continued for a long time and she wasn't tried. And then mm-hmm. finally, I, I, I have some details in this wrong, but eventually they did try her and we, and we'd already interviewed her like way back when right. to the point where when we started doing the story with her in it, I remember saying to the producer, um, is this still good, that interview that we did with her? Because I couldn't, so much time had passed. I couldn't even remember what I'd asked her. I'm like, sure. did I ask her the right things? Did I? And the producer was like, no, no, nothing's changed. We, we, yeah. we hit the right stuff in the interview. We're fine. And so then we used it. Um, I don't know yeah. if you could tell. I looked a lot younger because I was uh, in that interview. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you always look great. You're, you're, 
pocket square games on. Yeah, thank, thank you. So, I'm not you, wearing one today. I'm not wearing one today because do I don't wear them, them around the house. Josh, do you pick your own uh, pocket squares and suits out? Oh, sure, sure. Because I just Love have it. to tell you, um, I was watching the latest Kristen Smart episode, and there is one scene where it is on point. I was like, really? "Dang, that is a good outfit." Thank um, you. <laughs> and I was like, "I have to, I have to ask him if he has a wardrobe person or if it's him." No, no, it's all me. No. Um, and and on that case, I have a quick question. Yes. I was really hoping the whole time, and you led me. Well, you didn't lead me anywhere, but in my brain, I thought he's definitely going to interview Paul Flores. He's definitely going to, and then you didn't. Do you think you might get to? Probably not. I mean, he's locked. I up. know he's going to run know, away. He's going to uh, be so cagey about it. <laughs> you know, he's he's locked up, and he he has not spoken with anybody for a really long time. I mean, the last yeah. time he talked to anybody, who uh, you know, he. he I mean, somebody, uh, some other news organization, I think, ambushed him outside of his house. He didn't say anything of, of any note. Yeah. Um, he, um, I mean, reporters have asked him sort of questions on the fly before you don't get anything. Uh, I don't, I mean, clearly his family has done everything they could to shield him from any right. kind of scrutiny from either prosecutors or journalists. Um, but so I, I would imagine no. Um, yeah. I would imagine he doesn't. I and let's say, that. and look, let's say this plays out in a way uh, th- th- that we're not anticipating. Let's say the charges get dropped or they, um, he, he gets tried, but he's acquitted, right? Okay. There's still nothing in it for him to talk. Right. I mean, if you're and his attorney, you're still person. saying, okay, yeah. you beat this, yeah. fade into the woodwork. You know, yeah. don't, don't come out and, and, you know, proclaim victory or that you're an innocent man. Like too many I mean, people have already, a lot of people made up their minds about him a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't expect that. Um, I mean, a lot of times when people talk, it's because they think they got an, an opportunity to sort of influence the jury pool or public opinion in mm-hmm. some way. But I think with a case this long in which he's been talked about for a very long time is pretty much the only suspect. I, I would be surprised if he, if he yeah. talks because he hasn't said anything for a really long time. I was fascinated with the stories that were told to the podcaster. I thought yeah. that was well, really that guy did a great job. Yeah. That guy did, did a great You know, the great thing is he was not a journalist when this mm-hmm. began. I think we can debate whether or not he is now, but he, he certainly did not consider himself a journalist. And he certainly, he was not a friend of the Smart family, didn't know them. Yeah. Uh, and he had never investigated any kind of crime. Yeah. And... Uh, and he did a wonderful job on this and he did a very careful, thoughtful job of, of collecting and sifting through and reporting things that were provable. And in a lot of cases, you know, he heard a lot more stuff than yeah. he ended up putting in the podcast because mm-hmm. some of it he thought was unreliable or mm-hmm. reliable, but couldn't be confirmed. And right. if he couldn't confirm stuff, he was, uh, he was very careful about leaving it out. That's so, responsible. You know, That's yeah, it impressive. is. And it's, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, you contrast that with the, the sort of internet factor, mm. the social media response to the young woman who died at the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. in which, uh, all these people out there in cyberspace, some anonymous, some not. Yes believed that they knew what happened Mm -hmm. and they didn't and they believed that they knew who was to blame and they were wrong Mm -hmm. and they blamed either the LAPD for doing it or actually committing the crime in some cases Mm -hmm. or covering it up in other cases um 
And uh, none of that was true. It was all mm-hmm. based on like absolute nonsense. Right. And when it was over, the story was a tragedy, but not the one that, 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 that right, was essentially yeah. reported by all these different places, which are utterly irresponsible and which got in the way of law enforcement. Uh, and so in that world, Chris Lambert really is, is heroic and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, did a great job. And I think moved this case forward. I don't think there's any question about yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. With that Elisa Lamb case, there was a gentleman in another country. I can't recall which one that was destroyed because people were convinced he had killed her. Yeah, and he was this uh, this like rap artist, right? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, he was a he was a musician anyway. Metal or and something it, like it was that. Metal. Yeah. It was yeah, it was like some sort of musician, right? Yes. And he was. Uh, it turned out he wasn't even living there then. Right. No. There was nothing to it. He wasn't even in the United States at the time. Right. Um. But like. You know, the people want to, you know, people want to climb on to these things. Mm-hmm. And I see that happening with other stories now. And mm-hmm. it's, um. So it's nice I, to see someone doing it responsibly. Yeah. yeah. It's not always the kind of help that, uh, that Chris Lambert provided. He's been, he yes. was great. Right. Yeah. He did a great job. Kind of coming back to why we are obsessed with true crime too, but, um, but the, the way that it's so soothing is now that I, now that we're talking to you, I'm thinking, I just, it might just be your voice. <laughs> well, this because... is the, uh, this is the great story about my voice, which is when I was starting out a long time ago, I was not working at, uh, at NBC. I was working uh, at a different network, which wanted to change my voice as much as they mm-hmm. possibly could. They wanted it to be like sort of every other announcer's voice, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of indistinguishable, deep, mm-hmm. right? You know, and uh, you're listening too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they wanted they wanted everyone to sound like this. Yes, and and I uh, I did not sound like that. I sounded like this. And so um, I can't identify this network, but I'm just going to use its initials, ABC. Uh, and so you can you can guess as to who that might be. We'll go um, ahead and take a guess there. Yeah. And, uh, and they sent me to a very expensive voice coach in New York who, who um, had, had coached a lot of people. Um, I used to sit in her outer office and I would look at the walls, which were covered with photographs, headshots of people, um, uh, and pictures of, of them with her. And, and, and these were people from industry, you know, captains of industry. And these were people on Broadway and in local news and network news, um, and, and people in, uh, in, in movies and TV shows, like, you know, dramatic actors and people on commercials and people on the radio. And they all had written the same thing on the picture, essentially, which was without you, none of this would have happened. Right. Oh or you, you made my whole career <laughs> possible or yeah. Wow. You know, without you, I would be unknown. And I, I used to look up at these pictures in her, in her office while I was waiting for the person before me to finish their lesson. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to be up there. <laughs> I'm not going to be I'm one of those I'm not going to pass this course because and you didn't I, want, you weren't going to fill out the picture. Like that was just I not your thing or not, you didn't think you I, were going to make it. 
I was unable, I tried really hard. I was unable to change my voice in any meaningful way. The only thing that's changed my voice over the years has been age. My voice has gotten deeper as I've gotten older, but that's not because of anybody's coaching. That's just, that's just, uh, that's just life. And, uh, yeah. And and she was very unhappy with me. I can tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she was not, I was not, I was not, I was not a success story. Now, now, like, you know, you know, fast forward to today, you know, I'm wearing a face mask, right? And I'm in some store and I say to somebody, you know, you know, where can I find this item? And they say, oh my God, I know exactly who you are for your voice. You know, like, I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I guess I'm glad I didn't change it. Yes. No, thank God you didn't change it. No, that's, it's perfect. It's, and I think that that is a big reason that it is soothing the way you tell the stories yes, as well. Um, helps you kind of calm down. And I think it's, you know, I've, I think it's that, um, it's the hard, this has already happened to somebody else. So it's less likely to happen to me kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I, I hope that we are, I hope that one of the things that we're doing in Dateline is, is making people realize some, some basic truths of life. Yes. You know, the, yes. the one is that, you know, I mean, I mean, one of the things about, about, connects so many stories that we tell is that domestic violence is in the background of them somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's very explicitly in the background of them. Sometimes it's less clear, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's in, um, it's in, it's in the, the, the DNA of the stories, a lot of them. Right. And so are people believing that bad things will not happen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people not listening to their gut. I mean, yep. if, if something in you is telling you that you're in the wrong relationship or that you have a reason to fear this person that you're with, um, don't wait to find out whether that's true. And the other thing, of course, is that, you know, we've, we've done this wonderful job in this culture for the last, you know, however many years, a lot of years of drumming into women the idea that if you don't have a man, you don't have any value. Right. And that, of course, is utter nonsense, but it, it mm-hmm. is hammered into women at, at almost every every step of their lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the lessons of Dateline is, no, no, it's way better than to be alone, to be alone than to be yes. with the wrong person. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how does that I mean, that's got to feel really good because that that's what we try to do, too, is to shed light to to give people the tools that they need to kind of space to tell their stories, to to tell their stories, the the tools to survive the, the, the things that they're going through, the permission to talk about these things, um, and to remove that stigma. And you're, you're kind of doing the same thing. I feel like with Dateline, because if you look out there, you'll see all over social media, I've watched enough Dateline to know not to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Or I've watched enough Dateline. It's almost like a thing that you say when your gut is telling you don't do this. I don't want to end up on Dateline, so I'm not going to. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I I think that's right. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, I, you know, Mm -hmm. look, uh, I I mean, it's it's uh, hard because I feel like the Dateline story, it it ends one way and it's with the person, the woman usually being married. It doesn't usually end in a good way. Uh, Right. Um, um, but you know, true. trying to figure out then what are the best steps to get out of that? How do you get well, out of that? What are the lessons that? of that? You know, um, yes. you know, how you can prevent that from yes. happening to you or someone you know, or, you know, and how to recognize 
people before they're part of your life, yeah. uh, you know, so that you don't have to rely on, you know, um, uh, b- before you have to react to domestic violence, dating violence, intimate mm-hmm. partner violence, you know, you want to, you want to not be in the situation in which you have to right. figure out a way from that. You want right, to get out yeah. of that before that ever happens. And part of that is sort of, you know, examining red flags and, you know, looking at, uh, uh, looking at other people's behaviors and also looking at, at, at your own too. You know, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, you know, uh, we just ended, um, domestic violence awareness month, which was October. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I was posting something on that pretty much almost every day mm-hmm. on social media because it's look, it, it was, it was not just within my lifetime or within my career. It was within the last 20 years that for a lot of jurisdictions, law enforcement's response to domestic violence was to physically separate the partners and say, don't make me come back here. And that was that. And that's changing in a lot of places, but not every place. And it's still, um, uh, it's still not taken as seriously in a lot of places as it should be. I mean, I have a friend, a woman I know whose life was unquestionably saved by the change in the law that required police to arrest, even if the woman was, didn't want the charges, didn't want to press charges. Oh wow! She had called police. She had a boyfriend. He was beating her. Had been for a while. Um, I saw him once. We didn't meet, but I saw him once. I bumped into him somewhere. He's a scary looking guy. And, 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 and she was, he was hitting her and routinely she would call the police and the police would show up. This was in LA. This was LAPD. And they would, and then she would say, look, don't arrest him. Just make him leave me alone. Make him leave. And so he would leave and they'd warn him, you know, and that'd be that. And he, they, she wouldn't press charges. So nothing would happen. And then that law changed. And she didn't know that, but the police, she called police because he was hitting her or choking her. And and she used to say stuff to me that was like right out of like, you know, the battered woman's handbook. She used to say to me, well, you know, look, this is mostly my fault because I, Mm. I pushed his buttons or I, and I was disrespectful to him. I'm like, none of this is your fault. And don't talk like that. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, that's crazy. And, but I mean, she, it, 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 the, it was hard to sort of make her sometimes see the way she was talking. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she called police and they came, LAPD came and she said, I don't want him arrested. Just, just make him go away. And they were like, sorry, new law. You're under arrest. Right. And they hauled him away. Wow. And that is as a result of that, for sure. yeah. And as a result of that, she got some counseling, which I think she had never gotten, mm-hmm. you know, because, like how many people don't have access to therapy because they don't right. have access to healthcare, right? right a lot, right. too many. Right. Um, uh, she got some therapy through victim services mm-hmm. and she started thinking about her relationship with this guy in a different way. And mm-hmm. he was locked up. He could yes. not hurt her anymore. Uh, and, uh, and then when he got out, um, she actually came and lived with me for a little while and, uh, in my guest room and, um, and her friends would call and say, he's, he's at your house. He's looking around, mm-hmm. you know, he's looking through the windows. And then finally he, th- there was a trial 
and he got convicted and he did a some significant amount of time and she got free of this guy. She started realizing in part because of the victim services therapy that she had gotten, she started realizing, wow. you know, you know, you can break this cycle and you can not be with that kind of guy anymore. And, and it, it, I think it helped her see herself differently. And it certainly helped her see her relationship with that guy differently. Mm, and yeah. that is all because that law got changed because without right. that, um, she would have stayed in harm's way. I think it would be amazing for that to be in more places. That sounds yeah. like we had a guest on recently as well who had a similar situation. And I do believe that had he been arrested that night, her life had gone, would have gone a lot easier. Right. No, um, it's, it's, but I it's mean, hard. those are domestic violence and, and the other kinds of violence that circulate around that are, are one of the, one of the parts of life in which direct intervention by law enforcement can make an enormous difference right then. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, you know, I mean, you can stop people from selling drugs, but somebody else will sell drugs somewhere else. So, yeah. I mean, it's got to be more than just, you know, you're locking up on this particular corner. But if you, intervention in domestic violence um, is um, is something that, that, uh, that pays off. I think. And, and it, uh, in this case, it's certainly made an enormous difference. Yeah. You have certainly been a very generous person in the fact that you had your friends stay with you and you just have been generous in the fact that you even speak well, to people like to us, people like us and, <laughs> no, no. and, and, you know, just, and seeing you interact with the victim's like families, families and, yes. and seeing you interact yeah. with fans just on kind of on every spectrum. You're, of, you're, you're very different from many people who are in the spotlight in this right we'll say that and mm. it's so refreshing well, thanks i don't know that that's true but thank you i, I yeah. mean this is just from little observation little amy and sarah in <laughs> pittsburgh so we don't know but okay. <laughs> you're very kind do you feel like that was part of your upbringing or do you feel like that was instilled in you at somewhere at some point uh, you haven't been yeah. changed much by the fact that when you go to crime con, like yes. the people like maul you, like they come at you, you know, you have well, okay, they're not mauling me. Let's not, not go crazy you, here. You know yeah. I mean? like, yeah. I'm not like, I'm not like, now, no, I mean like, oh, you know, no, we're like, coming, we're coming in Vegas this year. And so good. Well, I, I think I'm going to be there for that. Goes. No, I mean, I oh, remember yeah. my That's mom telling me, my mom telling me that when I was a kid, I remember my mom telling me that, uh, that the police had to cut Frank Sinatra's tie, like with scissors, what? at some event, uh, because uh, women were grabbing at him and they were grabbing, <laughs> they grabbed his necktie and they were like choking him. This was, you know, and so they had the police had to like cut the tie because the oh fan would not give it up. You know, um, I don't know whether that story was apocryphal or not, but it, it was. Uh, uh, and I, let me just preface this by saying my mom really didn't like crowds, so it certainly fit with her oh, uh, no. view yeah. of. Uh, yeah. Of why you should never be in a crowd. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, I thought two things from that, which is one, that's crazy. And two, why are police carrying scissors? Um, 
So that may like, be. Mom, I don't think this is real. Yeah. I, now, as, as time goes by, Mom's version of that may not have been 100% accurate. But, but uh, no. And then we just say that is not happening at, at the crime con. I, I didn't know no one. First of all, I don't wear a tie to crime con for exactly that reason because I don't want to be choked by you. You're like, my mom's crazy. better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But uh, no, I, that is not happening at crime con. Um, although I try to convince Keith that it will. So. <laughs> Yes. Only fair. Oh, I can yeah. just see a stress on his fair. face when he's yeah. that. He's like, oh, yeah. God. Oh, no, now, this has happened so many times. Now he just looks at me and glares. He doesn't even say anything. <laughs> this is your doing. Yeah, like, I hate you. This is yeah. your doing. Yeah, he's oh, muttering a lot. What is the weirdest thing that a fan has ever done? The 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 hosts of a uh, of another podcast, oh. actually. <laughs> a different podcast. Um um, did needlepoint for me. Wait, they did. Oh, I was thinking of the girls that made up the rap. You have a needlepoint. Oh, well, the girl, the rap. Yeah. On murderish. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Murderish. Yes. Uh, well, you know, um, um the host of murderish is, is a friend of mine completely apart mm. from, from this world. But, um, okay. she, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jamie and, uh, and Carrie made up a rap, which was, <laughs> I don't know. Humiliating might be a good word for it. Oh, uh, it, was, it was it was great. Made me laugh. Yeah, um, the hosts. I, of, I got uh, one in the works. Don't worry. I'm going to send good. it to you later on Twitter. Good. So. That's good. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, the hosts of Date Dateline, which is you know the sort of you know official chronicle of all things Dateline, um, they did Needlepoint for me, Kimberly and Katie. What, um, what does it say? It says Sir Mankey with the hanky. It's here, it's here <laughs> in my office perfect. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's amazing. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, where is that? Here's I wonder if I can there. buy that yeah. from them. Can they make me one? <laughs> uh, it's one of a kind, yeah. Sarah. Yeah. It's one of a yeah, kind a, to be added kind to of the, a, the kind of a relic. But um, yeah, no, I, I will have to say that my uh, that that uh, uh, my uh, my contact with fans has been almost one hundred percent pleasant. Um, Probably because you draw you know, look, in. Well, I mean, look, people. I'm sure there are people who see me, you know, in public or at the supermarket and think like, oh, that's Josh Mangos. I hate him. Right. <laughs> um, but like those people don't approach you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they're not, right. You know, they just don't talk to you. You know, they're like, oh, I know that guy's a jerk, you know, but those people are not coming up to you and talking. So generally when people, you know, either at CrimeCon or anywhere else, it's always nice. It's always, yeah. you know, you know, hey, I watch the show. It's great. Thank you. You know, um, yeah. you know, something that uh, uh, I'm going to commit a little little uh, TV heresy here. Um, <laughs> there's a program on another network um, on CBS. Now it's on Paramount Plus. It's called Seal Team starring David Boreanaz. Mm-hmm. Now, that is normally um, uh, or nominally anyway, a show about. You know, U.S. Navy SEALs and they go on missions mm-hmm. and they shoot people and they get shot at. But there is a huge subplot that's been going on for a while now about the mental health issues affecting these guys, mm. about post-traumatic stress and about mm-hmm. the way in which constantly being in combat and risking your life and time away from your family and, you know, you're, the, the guys that you're deployed with end up being more of a family uh, than your own family and how that affects these guys. And that's a, a giant part of that show. And mm-hmm. I believe, I don't know anybody on that program, but I believe that it has done a lot of good. And yeah. it's, it's, um, 
they deserve tremendous credit for making uh, sort of these mental health issues a mainstream part mm-hmm. of the of the of the storyline of essentially just an entertainment show. Right. You know, it's not. Right. I mean, and and you know, I, I mean, I'm a big believer that like pretty much everybody should be in therapy, and. <gasps> I Same. know. Same here. I Same. know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who have been in therapy, and some people have been helped by it. Some people have been like, you know, helped less than others by it. Mm-hmm. But no one uh, has been hurt by it. And, right. Right. And right. one of the things that uh, that they talk about on the, on on the, on that program on SEAL Team is one one of the things that one of the messages is that sort of everybody can benefit from looking at the way you are and the things that you think about and the stresses of your job and of your life and why you make the choices that you do. And, you know, certainly, I mean, you know, we will have come a long way when police officers in this country, for example, feel as comfortable walking into a therapist's office as they do walking into their office or walking into a bar or a gym or something like that. And we're, we're definitely not there yet. So right. I, I uh, my hats off to those guys at CBS because they've done a great job. Yeah. Uh, I don't actually know them. I just I just am a viewer of theirs. That is that is really spot on, and I'm seeing it in more and more entertainment shows. Well, I think that's good. I mean, I, I look. Yeah. I mean, you know, look. My parents, um, you know, grew up in a time in which seeing a therapist, going into therapy, was shameful, and. Mm-hmm perceived as a sign that one something was really wrong with you and and that it was also a sign that you sort of were not self-sufficient you know that you couldn't couldn't deal with your own shit yeah and yeah you know i mean i had a member of my family say to me well look you know it's a sign going into therapy when i suggested this going into therapy is a sign that you can't handle your own problems I'm like, right, well, right. one, you can't handle your own problems, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And two, right. no, it's not, right? I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with, like, asking somebody for help. And yeah. two, if, if, if your perception is that you're handling your own problems, you aren't. That's a, uh, and, and I think that, that, I think that is changing. I think that perception mm-hmm. is changing. But really? as we were talking about yeah. earlier, not nearly enough people have access to healthcare that could provide, yes. in many mm-hmm. cases, life-saving therapy, as sure. well as, all the other things in healthcare right. that you right, that, yeah, that are right. a benefit to people, yeah, and it's so nuts that we 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 live in that society. I agree, I and agree. it's not moving fast enough, but it is going in the right direction, and that's why I think, that's I think right. it's amazing that you're talking about it, even you know, mm-hmm. and we talk about it. You were talking about how it's important to talk about your feelings and to go to therapy, and and I, I've wanted to know you've always been very gracious and very sensitive with talking to the victims families however once you became directly associated with someone who was lost by a violent death with with your friend steve pitt yeah how did that experience change the way you interview victims families and friends if if at all i mean first of all, a couple of things first of all steve pitt was a wonderful guy and mm-hmm. he was he had been only a friend of mine for about, I don't know, a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I thought we were going to become better friends as time went on. I mean, yeah. he and his, uh, his fiance and my wife and I had gotten together here in Los Angeles. He lived mm. in Phoenix and we were going to see them again. And I had just seen him about, I don't know, about 10 days before he was killed, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more, but not less than two weeks, I think. 
before he was killed because he was here in LA and he's like, Hey, I'm in town. Come on by. And so I, I stopped by and saw him. He was at this, uh, this art fair, um, in, in LA. And so we hung out for a while and he was, you know, in a great mood. And, and we just, it was, it was a nice, you know, way to spend a couple hours talking to him. Yeah. Um, I don't want to make it sound like this was my best friend who got killed or something. It, 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 it he was, he was a very, very smart guy, very mm-hmm. good guy. Uh, really passionately believed in the ability of therapy to help people. Mm-hmm. And his mm-hmm. whole life was about helping people. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only was I, I thought he was brilliant, but he was also like really, really committed to helping others and, and did a lot of pro bono work for law enforcement. I mean, like the, the, the cops in Phoenix and Scottsdale were, were, were at his funeral and they were, um, they, they talked a lot about how much help he had been to them in a bunch of cases, profiling, you know, serial rapists and other people that they were looking for. Um, but I don't want to make it sound like he was my best friend or something. That That's unfair. Um, but uh, he was a terrific guy. And, and he, I mean, what a loss that was. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the hard thing was interviewing his fiance, who I, you know, yeah. knew separately as a friend. And, um, you know, I was more sort of worried about how she was doing than, you know, than anything I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I took a lot of care when, when talking to her, but I take a lot of care when talking to anybody. Yeah. I mean, these are people you who do. have suffered, yes. you know, an yeah. unimaginable loss and it's the thing that's going to change them forever. Right. And, you know, you sort of, when you're doing these interviews, you have to kind of strike some middle ground. I mean, when they start crying, you can't start crying. You're a journalist, you know. On the yeah. other hand, when they start getting upset, you also can be like, hey, hey, come on. You know, I got a flight in a couple hours, <laughs> you know. Like, that's not going to work either. So, you know, yep. you need yep. some, you need to find some distance from them, but not, mm-hmm. it, it can't be a complete distance. And if you're not feeling some of what they're feeling, I mean, reporting right. is feeling. If you're not feeling something, you're not doing yes. your job. Right. Uh, that right. said, you, yeah. you also need to be able to say to them, if you want to take a break now, that's okay. Yeah. And I do that all the time on Dateline. And it's not, you know, if it helps people compose themselves and take the, and, and tell the story better, uh, or, or, or in a way that's more satisfying to them, that always makes me very happy because like, you know, this is not about get, getting people to cry on camera. You know? mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Did you grow up in South America or just go there for a while? No, we, I while? lived there for about two years from like okay. seven to about like six and a half to eight and a half, something like that. Those okay. were the ages I was, because by the time I was nine, my ninth birthday was back in the United States. So, yeah. So yeah, about two years, but something like that. Um, my brother wasn't born yet. Um, or as we all like to refer to it, the good old days. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ben. yeah. Sorry. So we, have, we have a very similar, um, well, I'm more on Ben's side of that, but my sisters and I are 17 and 18 years apart. Now I know you guys are with oh, 12, really? about 12 yeah. years apart. So, um, and we have the same parents, same everything. It just, I was a, big whoops. Um, but so there's, there's that, uh, connection. So I think Ben and I need to talk Yeah, I think uh, so. because I think my sisters feel the same way about me as you do about <laughs> the good, him, the good, old, the good days. old days. Yeah. yeah. No, I actually, <laughs> so, I mean, I can't, I I'm tease him a lot, but no, he's, uh, we're, we're, he's, he's wonderful. He's yeah. The there was a story we just read. It was such a nice story that was done on the two of you, an interview, I think it was in 2020. 
was, oh, really? that was a year Deadline, ago. Deadline, I think, is yeah. what it was an article. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, was I really good. I liked, that. Yeah. I liked that a Talked lot. Talked a lot about yeah. your, your for that, parents. For yeah. that book, for, for, for the movie, right? Yeah, the movie, the movie made. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. yeah, which we didn't have anything to do with, but which I think we right. both liked. Yeah. Uh, so in that, I believe, or something else that I've been listening to with you, um, we've been reading and we've watching been, we've all been, things. We've been a Josh little obsessed. <laughs> really? That's a I love so <laughs> a much. Frightening. Yeah. We're, we're not going to come to LA just yet. So don't worry. Okay. So, okay. All right. No. Good. Um, <laughs> so you were talking about how storytelling is storytelling when you moved in from like political journalism into uh, true crime. Right. And then you talked about how your dad used to say, and I love this so much because this is how I feel about life. Uh, after you guys would watch the news at night, here's the story everyone's missing. And like, if it were my goal yeah. in life, like that's all I want to do is reveal the story that like everybody's missing. And I just think that's such an incredible thing that you grew up with that being the conversation. Yeah. Well, that was the great thing about growing up with a journalist, which he was, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I remember that. I mean, I mean, we would watch the evening news quietly. Like there was not to be any talking. <laughs> we could talk at the commercial breaks. You got to remember this, this was before DVR. So like you saw yeah. everything once. There was no backing up and watching it again. Right. Uh, and, uh, no, we'd watch the news and then the news would be over and my dad would shut off the TV set and then we'd start talking about what had happened on the news and what we learned about that. And we would talk about not just the, you know, like if the story was about, you know, Vietnam, we'd talk about, you know, the war and, and the, yeah. the, you know, American reaction to it and the opposition to it and the, and the and mm -hmm. people who, who supported it and that. But then we'd also talk about the way that story was done on the evening news too. We also talk yeah. about the nuts and bolts of journalism. And it was from those experiences watching the evening news every night growing up at dinner time that I became interested in being a, a television journalist. Mm -hmm. I mean, no yeah. question that had to do with it. But yeah, my dad was all about not just watching the news, but understanding it and thinking about what was there and more importantly, what wasn't there. It's so, it's so important to think critically like that. And sometimes that's lost. Yeah. I feel that these days mm -hmm. yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was great. He was great. So you watched Walter Cronkite, correct? We did. We that were, your... we, I mean, I'm not saying we never, we didn't watch ABC growing up. We watched Walter Cronkite and sometimes Huntley Brinkley. And there was a time when, you could watch them both because they came on, one came on at 6.30 and one came on at 7, wherever we okay. were living at the time. Mm -hmm. So so I remember there were some nights where you'd see a full hour of it. Sometimes you see the same story done twice in, in slightly different way, uh, which was also very edifying. So he would end his stories with, and that's the way it is. Yeah, every night he would say, and that's the way it is. You know, Monday, October 8th, 1973. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you could have... Do you have a line that if you, you could end line? it, yeah. do you have a tagline? <laughs> when, you, when you were a kid, did you sit there with your, you know, hairbrush <laughs> and your marker and be like, and. And, and, and say something into the, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, um, uh, I don't think I did. No, I, oh. it'd be great. It'd be, I, I, now, see, if you'd give me a little time to prepare for this, I could have invented yeah. something better. You can but think about no. that and come and back to it. And you are more than right. welcome to come up with a tagline right. for us as well. Right. Yeah, like, stay classy, San Diego. No, I never there thought of go. that. Yeah. No, I, that's that. No, I did not. That was not. I did not have one of those. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, oh. There was a, there was a, uh, I saw a great piece of tape, which you can probably find on YouTube, which was all the different broadcasters' sign-offs. Oh, 
you know, that's cool. um, uh, you know, I mean, Cronkite was famous, but then there were all these mm-hmm. local guys around the country who had a thing that they said, you know, yeah. my time yeah. is up. I thank you for yours. That was one of them. <laughs> ah, um, that's clever. Uh, yeah. All these, uh, you know, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember when I, I was working at CBS, when Dan Rather ended his newcast a couple of times by saying courage. That Ooh. was his. That was in the that was Just in the nineteen eighties. In the nineteen eighties, yeah, is, yeah, eighty six, eighty seven. You know, Dan Rather. You know, that's that, you know that's the news. That's the CBS Evening News. I'm Dan Rather in New York. Courage. Huh. We were like, what? And he didn't <laughs> tell anybody. The first time he did it, he didn't tell anybody he was going to do it. And it was the <laughs> yeah, that was the talk of, of of the city the next day. Or it felt like it. So what do you think yeah. he meant by that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a single yeah. word. Like that didn't that. last. I mean, he didn't stick with it, yeah. but he did do it for a few days, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like uh, but that, yeah, somewhere there was all these different, you know, like Jerry Dunphy here in Los Angeles uh, was a local anchorman here for, you know, forever. Uh, and he used to say, he used to begin his newscast, you know, good evening from the desert to the sea to all of Southern California. That was, huh. wow. that was how it began. <laughs> and a lot of radio people had had sign offs too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up listening to Paul Harvey, you know. Yes, you know? yep. And now you know the rest, the rest of the story. Love which it. I love. That was good. Oh, that was really and good. I loved how I loved how you'd start listening to Paul Harvey. I used to listen to it when my uh, uh like my my parents were driving me to to, to like the bus stop or to school mm-hmm. in the morning, depending on which school I was going to. Um uh He'd start telling a story, you know, and he would say, there's a young man. He lives near a frozen lake. One day he looked out the window and there was a dog on the lake. It had fallen through the ice. My gosh. He tied a rope to the trunk of his car. He threw the rope in. He used that rope to pull the dog free. Yes, that dog is now his dog. And that car was a Pontiac. I'd be like, oh, come on. Like, that was an ad, you know? I just invested like, I just invested like two minutes of my life in that. No, that's not true. None of that happened. That's all made up, you know? Yeah. He had, it was, he was the, the dramatic pauses. Oh, no, it was great. Oh great, great, great. Yeah. Loved, loved, loved him. Like yes. that was, wow. I mean, that was, you know, and still, I mean, look, one of the great things about podcasting, right, is that it harkens back to those days of yes. mm-hmm. when you felt connected to somebody yes. just through mm-hmm. the sound of their voice yes. and what they were saying right to you. I mean, yeah. that is the strength of podcasting. That was the strength of, of great yeah. radio broadcasters like, uh, like, like Paul Harvey and, yes. and yeah. so many others. And. Yes. You know, that's one of the wonderful things about podcasts. And by the way, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm sure I'm not telling the two of you anything that you haven't heard, but maybe those in your audience. I mean, as great as Keith's voice is on Dateline, his podcasts are spectacular. I mean, it, it is it is really like he's talking right to you. And he has like mm-hmm. three, three, I think, maybe four yeah. original podcasts, which you can find wherever you And they're always podcasts. in the top ten. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we all well, the showcasts are. I mean, the ones that are just the audio of Dateline. Oh. But then when we do a ri- those those are always in the top ten. But then when we do an original one, I've done one. I think he's done he's done at least three that I can think of. Yeah. And then we have another one done by a um, a producer at Dateline uh, called uh, a guy named Dan Sleppian called Thirteen Alibis. 
Um, Ooh. and, uh, and all of those are just absolutely riveting, but Keith's voice for podcasts. I mean, come on, what's better? But, right. I mean, it's pretty, yeah. Yeah. Epic. It is pretty spectacular. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yes, it is. All right. So we have to ask you because we ask all of our guests these questions yes. now. Okay. For, let's start, start off with warrior. What does being a warrior mean to you? We call it just to kind of give you some backstory we, there. Why we ask that yeah. we call of all of our listeners warriors. Because we have a reason for that. We have a meaning to that word ourselves. Um, it's our theme song has that word in it. So what does that word mean to you? Well, a warrior is someone who fights for what they believe in, fights hard, fights tirelessly. Mm-hmm. So if I'm fighting hard for anything, it's for, it's for the truth to come out mm-hmm. about whatever we're doing a story yeah. about. It's for, you know, and, and it's for, for, you know, families who in so many cases, you know, like this, like Kristen Smart's family, mm-hmm. you know, yep. they want answers and sure. uh, the last 25 years have not been kind to them. Mm. So yes. they need, they need as many warriors on their side as they can get. Yes. And now, you know, this story may be over. That story may be over in the sense that, you know, maybe Mr. Flores will get convicted. Um, Maybe if he is guilty, he would, you know, give up the location of Kristen's body. But maybe neither of those things will happen, or maybe only one of them will happen. And in any case, it's pretty hard to think of the result of all of that as some kind of justice. Right, right. Because it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, we're kind of past that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, moving into something a little bit more light. More fun. <laughs> more fun. Um, so the other thing that we ask everyone is what makes you, and they can go together, they can be separate. Uh, what makes you wild and weird? Or what is something wild and weird that you have done recently? Either one. I guess Hold appearing up. on this podcast is not a suitable answer. It sure is. It, is. <laughs> it absolutely is. And that's that's a huge compliment. Okay, yeah, because recently uh, two women that I did not know and that I did not follow on social media wrote to me and said, would you be on our podcast? And in a weird, wired, wild moment, I said <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and, and here we are. And here we are. And my life is complete. Yeah, I think well, now, wait, wait, I think, I think now it to- is. Yeah, it it is only because now we're forever friends. That's what you don't right. I think that's right, which I think is true, so. and that's true for a lot of people that I've mm-hmm. had this experience with too. I mean, that's yes. that's definitely how I. I mean, my first uh, my first podcast was a few years ago. Its podcast doesn't exist anymore. Called White Wine True Crime, and mm-hmm. uh, oh, and yeah. I'm still friends with both of the women who are hosts of that. So yeah, yeah. Do you listen to true crime podcasts? Um, when possible, I generally, I I have a rule, which is I tend not to listen or watch podcasts or, or, um, or documentaries. Um, I'm not talking about Dateline here. I'm talking about stuff, other stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, that aren't about stories that I've covered. Is I got a limited amount of bandwidth up here in my that's, head. That's you know, so true. Yeah. Right. I mean, I wouldn't have watched that thing on the Cecil Hotel because we didn't cover that, except that some of the people interviewed in that were people I knew. So okay. I, I did. And, uh, um, but you know, I do listen to true crime podcasts. Um, um, you know, I, uh, I mean, besides, uh, well, this doesn't count as a true crime podcast. Well, I mean, I love, uh, 
you know, I love, still um, love us. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, I mean my favorite murder, you know, yes, we just heard just you on, on there. I was on there. It was great. Yes. They're, they're, they're wonderful. And they're, they've, they've been, they've been great friends. Can we, to, can to we tell you a little side note about that? Sure. Now we have tried to get them to chat with us, but our local newspaper, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette um, compared us to them. And Isn't we that thought, nice? And we thought, oh my gosh, we can die happy. Right. <laughs> but no, That's we couldn't. Wonderful. Because we still needed to talk to Mank. That's right. Right. That's right. But we're going to keep going here. We're going to keep going. You know, right and, I lo- so. and, I, I, and I love murderish. And, uh, yes. and, uh, and what else? I've listened to, to, to do you listen to la- morbid? I've not listened to morbid yet. Uh, the last podcast on the left, right? That's, mm-hmm. yep. that's right. Yep. Isn't yep. that one of them? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, there's so many, you know, I mean, look, it's, it's hard to do because I have, I, I, you know, first of all, I'm not on airplanes anymore. Oh no, no. You know, because of the, because of the pandemic, I haven't been on, sure. I haven't been flying. And, uh, that was when like, it was great sure. to be able to download yeah. a podcast and, and, right. and listen. Um, I'll tell you a great podcast was, um, uh, done by Michael Connolly, the, uh, the crime author. Yes. Um, which I, I, I've done. He's done a couple of seasons, a couple of different, different ones. And they're, um, they're, they're great stories because they're, they're, they're true stories. And in, in one case is a story he covered when he was a newspaper reporter for the LA Times. Hmm. Um, uh, I think called the telltale bullet. And, um, uh, because when I came to Los Angeles, Connolly was a newspaper reporter, and then he later became this, you know, giantly successful crime novelist mm-hmm. and TV yeah. producer. But at the time, he was a journalist, <laughs> and so this is a story. I think the original one was a story that he covered when he was uh, working for the Times. Wow. That's pretty good that you're compared uh, to uh, to Karen and Georgia. That's great. I know. <laughs> It, we were pretty it, it, it was, about it. I think we've told everyone now. We have told everyone, and and, <laughs> and we were pretty excited to be above the fold yes. on, in a newspaper. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's our little Pittsburgh uh, famous moments. You know, and I always listen to Dateline. Uh, Do you listen and watch your own episodes? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, but of course, by the time that it airs, I've already seen it a few times. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So yes, I mean sometimes there's a few like effects and things and you know uh, uh, you know different audio and video things that have mm-hmm. been done you know to sort of fix it and, and make it a little more arable in post production. Changes the feel. Yeah. Right. But generally, like I you know I, I know everything that's in it by the time that that it airs. So I've already seen it usually twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I have a very hard time. I don't listen to us. Isn't that bad? I listen every week because I have to check the sound. <laughs> I do the editing though, so I listen. How many? To us how many years have you been doing this? This is our we we just had, had, we just our, had our first, first birthday. anniversary birthday. Congratulations! Thank you. Yes, That's one great. year. November fourth was our first episode. We that did aired. it um, on the election. We did. Yes, mm-hmm. we nice. covered the yep. yeah the election from last year. So that was our first one. Ooh. That was an anxiety-filled day. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't over at the end of the day, as I recall. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Nope. No, it wasn't. Did you – is it times like that? Do you miss political reporting? Yes, but only times like that. Mm. I mean, yes, on the big moments, I do think, Mm -hmm. you know, that was great. I mean, as recently as 2004, I think, was the last time I did anything on politics. I was at Dateline, but they had me go to – New Mexico. And I was on a few times during election night because that was a, a very close state that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on with, uh, with then Tom Brokaw and, and Tim Russert. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
Uh, and that was, I think, the last time I, I, you know, did anything really covering politics. I think I don't think I've done anything since then. But yeah, sure, election night is the, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the times when it's great to be in that business. I, I'm not saying I never miss political reporting. I do think that what we cover at Dateline is more vital and more connected to many people's lives yeah. than most of the political reporting out there. Sure. I agree. And probably more well-researched. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think that there's, you know, I, there are hundreds and hundreds of really talented reporters covering Washington and covering politics at almost every level, you know, yeah. city, state, local, national. Um, there are comparatively fewer, way fewer, covering domestic violence, relationship issues. I'm glad to be one of those. I am. Yeah. The whole team at Dateline is doing excellent work. Powerful work. Important work. Mm -hmm. And you have at least two forever fans. No, you have so many. Our entire audience (laughs) loves you. Yes. And loves the entire Dateline team and was like, wait, are you sure you're not being um, catfished? I was like, oh, that it, no, for real. I promise. What, that I was catfishing you, you mean? Well, like that you weren't the real you. I got Oh, say, yeah. I, this is, I have to say, I thought, okay, I, I'm taking a page out of the Josh Mankiewicz book, and I'm very suspicious of the fact that he said yes. <laughs> and I need to really dig in and see if this is actually him that said yes. And so, yes, I, I had my, I had my suspicions and my fears. For right. just a hot second. For just a minute. Because, you know, you're just very gracious. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't disappoint you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Okay, Warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. (laughs) That is so perfect. It's so perfect. That's my Christmas gift forever. Yes. That was perfect. That was so perfect. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. Editing and production by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, join our fan club at patreon.com slash unqualifiedtherapistsinc. Follow us on Instagram at unqualifiedtherapists, where you will find our link tree to all things here at the UT. If you have a story to tell or a topic you'd like us to discuss, email us at Unqualified therapists at gmail.com. Until next week, Warrior, hold on. We're gonna make it. Say it now, 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 say it now